And as I briefly stated, the title of our sermon today is Opposing Opposition. It's based on Acts 14, uh, 1 through 7. If you'd like to turn in your copies of the Word to Acts 14, 1 through 7. And as you're doing so, I just want to state the obvious that the job of being a first century missionary was exciting. (laughs) They didn't know how their message would be received, nor did they know how long they'd be in a certain place before God moved them on, and they sure didn't know where they'd be going next. It was an exciting life to be an apostle, to be a missionary in the first century. And at the end of chapter 13, the missionaries Paul and Barnabas were driven out of Pisidian Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey, by persecution. God allowed them to be persecuted in Pisidian Antioch so that they'd be driven to the next place they were to preach and to serve the Lord. And if you look back in Acts 13, beginning at verse 42, just to give you a context leading up to chapter 14, I'm reading Acts 13, 42 to 52. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who was speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles." For so the Lord commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many has been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In the last message I had with you in the book of Acts, I pointed out that there are certain ways we can know filling of joy and filling of the Holy Spirit. And some of those ways involve opposition. Some of those ways even involve persecution. So now we come into chapter 14, and they've been driven out of Pisidian Antioch by persecution, and they had a walk to Iconium. I looked it up. There was an 80-mile walk between Pisidian Antioch and Iconium. That's a long walk. (laughs) Take a few days. I wonder what Paul and Barnabas spoke about on the walk to Iconium. Many things, probably, but I know one thing they didn't talk about on the, on the 80-mile walk between Pisidia and Antioch and um, Iconium. They didn't talk about changing their strategy so they'd avoid persecution. They didn't talk about having a different method other than going to the Jewish synagogue in the new place, Iconium, to start preaching the word of God in the, in the synagogue. They didn't back off. They didn't say, we can't do that anymore. We don't want to get opposed and persecuted like we were in Pisidia and Antioch, so we're going to do something different in Iconium. No, 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 no. They didn't do that because when we look at the first verses of chapter 14, you see that's exactly what they did in Iconium is what they had done in Pisidian Antioch. 
They didn't change their method. And verse 1 of chapter 14, ready? Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. The first thing that happened for these apostles, missionaries, was that a great thing happened, a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks, and another way of saying Gentiles, a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed in Jesus. And we're going to see a little later in our sermon why that was the case. Why a great multitude of both Jews and Gentiles believed on Jesus in a place called Iconium. We're going to see that a little later in this message. But a second thing happened. Not only did a great multitude in that place believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. That's what verse 2 says. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. You know, it's a timeless truth that hell hates and opposes what heaven achieves. Hell hates and opposes what heaven achieves. And when a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, Satan reacted. And he tried to resist. Of course, he couldn't steal back any of the souls who were saved when they believed on Christ for salvation. So instead, Satan tried to stop others from also believing and being saved as the missionaries continued to preach the gospel. And it says that Satan stirred up opposition to both the missionaries and to their message. And he did so by poisoning minds to be against the missionaries and against the other believers in Christ in Iconium who were hearing and accepting the message. You know, mind poisoning is one of Satan's specialties even to this day. Mind poisoning. Because after all, we learn in John 8 that Satan is a liar, an accuser, and a murderer. He doesn't want you to have the truth. He doesn't want you to stand in the good standing you have in Christ. And he wants you dead. And so one of the ways that he does these things is he poisons the minds. He wants to poison minds. You ever heard of these mind-poisoning lies? Faith is silly superstition. The Bible contradicts itself. Christianity can't stand up to science. Miracles are impossible. The Bible is for intellectual cripples. The church only wants your money. And no preacher can be trusted. These are just some of the examples of the lies of Satan, even down to this morning, that he perpetrates to try to poison the minds who hear these lies and believe them to be true. So let me say something to the parents listening. Your children are regularly hearing these and other mind-poisoning lies. And you are too. This means that both you as parents and your children, that you and I regularly require doses of a truth. The truth 
From cover to cover is the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible centers in the one who says of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You, want, you get dirtied and poisoned minds from Satan's lies, then get cleansed by the word of God and what it tells you about Christ. You want, don't want to get in the place of being fooled by satanic mind-poisoning lies, then immerse yourself in God's scriptural truth. This means that the man in the pulpit as a father and a husband and each of you in the pew as, as whoever you might be in your station and stage of life, you and your children, me and my children, we need regular doses of God's truth. Listen, Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. We need regular doses of God's truth as antidotes to the lies that Satan foists to try to poison our minds. 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles, the Lord of the Lord and Savior. Or Ephesians, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, the first part of verse 14. Stand therefore, May I interject against the mind-poisoning lies of Satan? Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist in truth. The belt. Truth. Don't want to buy into mind-poisoning lies from Satan? Don't want your kids to do it either? Then immerse yourself in the truth. Regular doses of Bible in a week. John 17, 17, in our Lord Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer before the cross, he prayed something very important for those first disciples, and by extension, all these centuries later, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God the Father, is praying this prayer, I'm convinced, for us as his believers. You ready? John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays that we'll be set apart from ourselves, set apart from this world that cheerfully leaves them out of everything, to be sanctified, how? By the truth. What truth? The word is truth. We need daily doses of Bible so that we don't buy Satan's perpetual lies that are, that are given to try to poison our minds. Last example, John 8, 31 to 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word. Later in the passage, he defines abiding as obeying. If you abide in the scripture and you obey the scripture, then you are following Christ as a disciple. 
Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We need daily doses of God's Bible truth so that we don't get fooled, pulled in, twisted in our understandings of reality by mind-poisoning lies that Satan spews out on television, on social media, and all around us. And to go back to Iconium, even though the Gentiles there were stirred up, even though the Gentile minds were poisoned to be against them, Paul and Barnabas, it says, stayed there a long time. Even though certain minds were poisoned by Satan, even though the Gentiles were all stirred up by enemies of the cross, Paul and Barnabas stayed there in Iconium a long time. And not only that, the text tells us they were speaking boldly there. And they were speaking in the Lord. It says in the text that the Lord was bearing witness to his own word of his grace. And they were granted signs and wonders, miracles. That's how they hung in there in Iconium, being facing with poisoned minds. That's how they lasted. That's how they persevered. That's how they made it. That's how they didn't quit. I know that anybody here that's facing opposition will find the next part of the sermon helpful. And I know that in a crowd this size that a good number of us are facing opposition. Sometimes from people you least expect would be opposed to Christ. Sometimes from people you think would be very likely to love Jesus and to want you to do his will. But some of us are facing opposition from least likely people. Maybe you're getting opposition at your work for being honest. Maybe you're having opposition with a neighbor. Maybe you're having opposition from someone. But I know that in the sound of my voice, there are believers, precious believers, who are being opposed like the missionaries back in the first century were. And you're wondering, how do I hang in at my job? How do I respond to what my kids are bringing home from school by way of inaccuracies and lies? How do I hang in this marriage? The person that said they were spiritually minded when we were dating and courting and then he married me and he doesn't have any interest in the church. How do I hang in there when I'm being oppressed and opposed? Well, do it like the apostles did. Number one, do it in the Lord. Number two, know that the Lord is the one who's going to bear witness to his own word of his grace in his word by his Holy Spirit. And three, understand God can use you to do what others perceive to be impossible. You might call it a miracle. You might call it a miracle. So back to verse three. Therefore, Although some had poisoned minds, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So let me just say it again. You're facing opposition. You don't know quite what to do the rest of today, Monday, Tuesday, and if the Lord tarries the remainder of this week in front of us, you don't know exactly what you do. When you're facing this opposition, here's what you do. Whatever your ministry is, 
you will hang in that ministry to the degree that, number one, you are doing your ministry in the Lord. Number two, the Lord is doing his ministry through you. Number three, your whole redeemed life looks like a miracle to those who don't have your Jesus yet. You know, I think of two pastors in our city who I love as my brothers, pray with them monthly, pastors Lyle Bethel and Cedric Moss. You know well that social issues arise that are contrary to Scripture, that God has used Pastor Bethel and Pastor Moss and others to stand for truth in the public forum. Or I think of a singer in our first church. He had a lovely voice. He sang duets with Beth. But he stuttered outside of singing. But as soon as he sang, he stopped stuttering every time. Or I think of our precious missionary to Haiti, Phyllis Newby. And she could tell us time and time again, dozens and dozens and dozens of times over her long ministry in Haiti for orphans, how God supplied the food miraculously. When the kids needed something, God provided it in answer to prayer. And anybody who's seeing how the provision was made go, that's a miracle. Yeah, it was. It is. So whatever your ministry is, you will do it even facing opposition if you are doing your ministry in the Lord. And if the Lord is doing your ministry through you, and if your redeemed life looks like a miracle to people who don't know the Lord Jesus and what he can do. Now it says that in this in the Lord phrase in the verse, it's a ministry that happens because you are in Christ. If I took this piece of paper and put it into my Bible, and then I FedExed my Bible to Toronto, the paper in the Bible would get to Toronto when the Bible got to Toronto because the paper's in the Bible. We are in Christ as believers. We are in Christ. So with Christ being in Christ as our identity, we can see him do things through us. And you'll be astounded what he can do through you. And then it says that they, the Lord is the one who testified to his word. See it there in um, verse 3. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Now there's a who pronoun. Who does the who refer to? The Lord. Well, wait a minute. Was it Barnabas and Paul that were preaching? Yeah, they were. But the verse says, therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, watch, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. They were speaking scripture, but God was ministering the scripture through them as they preached. That's how it works. When you're in Christ and he's in you by his Holy Spirit, then it's a partnership in ministry. And the ministry which you are able to do in the Lord is actually the ministry the Holy Spirit is actually doing through you as his tool. So what we have here is that ministry we do should be done in the Lord and that ministry that we do is because the Lord is in us actually doing it by his Holy Spirit. 
So which of the two is more important? <laughs> ministry we do because we're in the Lord or ministry done because the Lord is in us? Well, which wing of the airplane do you want? You want both wings, right? So you want both of these things. You want your ministry to be done because you're in the Lord and you want your ministry to be done because the Lord is in you doing the ministry. There's a third thing that happened. The missionaries there in Iconium, despite the opposition, the third thing that happened was that these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, hung in there and kept ministering despite significant opposition. And the thing that happened was miracles. The Lord allowed Paul and Barnabas in Iconium to do certain miracles that are called by Scripture signs and wonders. Now, Warren Wearsby is a trusted Bible commentator, and he makes a good and balanced comment about these signs and wonders, miracles, I think. I quote, faith is not based on miracles, but faith can be bolstered by miracles. Did you hear that? Faith is not to be based on miracles, but faith can be boosted by miracles. Now, before we move off of verse 3, you see the, word in, the words in that verse, the, the word of his grace. Verse 3 again. Therefore, they stayed a long time there, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. We have to make a comment that the word of his grace performs the works of his grace. When we know the word of his grace, the scriptures, we see him do the works of his grace through our lives. That's an important linkage. So, what happened when they were in Iconium and both in Christ and in the Holy Spirit preaching boldly the grace word of God and the grace works of God? What happened when the opposition arose due to their poisoned minds against the Lord and his apostles? What happened when a whole city divided over the Lord Jesus Christ? What happened when certain signs and wonder miracles were done in Iconium? What happened when all of this happened? Look at verse 4. But the multitudes of the city were, the multitude of the city was divided part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made both by the Gentiles and Jews, their rulers to abuse and stone them, that is the missionaries, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Iconia, to, to the surrounding region, and they preached the gospel there. Did they do wrong by fleeing to, from Iconium? No, they didn't. In Matthew 10, go with me to Matthew 10, please. Matthew 10, 23. In Matthew 10, 23, Jesus said something interesting. He said to his disciples in Matthew 10, 23, but whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So Jesus' own command was that when you face persecution in a certain city, move to the next city. And Jesus basically said you're going to be moved on several times due to the persecution. So they didn't disobey by fleeing from Iconium. And that by fleeing from Iconium, they went on to Lystra and Derbe. And they 
gospel and the church spread further and further from the epicenter of Jerusalem into penetrating Gentile country even more. Now let's make this personal. This has been historic. It's been truth, historic truth. But let's make this personal. You may find yourself this morning in your own little Iconium. You may find yourself, maybe the people around you don't know that, but you find yourself, truth be told, in your own little Iconium. That is a place where you are posed. That is a situation where you see Christ's person dividing persons that you'd rather be together. Your little Iconium could be a relationship with a person who you care about, who has had their mind poisoned against the Lord and you. You may just be in your own little Iconium today, right living in that situation. I think of a former congregation I pastored and a former sister in the Lord, I'll call her Susan, that was not a real name. Susan's husband was a Christian. In fact, he had done some preaching in various churches until he started acting very differently. He stopped going to any church because he could only find fault in every church and every pastor. He allowed Susan and their five children to attend the church I was pastoring, but he was angry with me, although we had never met. And he didn't want to meet with me. He refused to meet with me. She was in her own little Iconium. And this, her husband was a disgruntled man, and in his disgruntled outlook, he divided his own family along spiritual lines. He even, as a believer, tried to poison the minds of his wife and kids so that they would oppose me and my ministry and the church that I was shepherding. Susan's husband tried to make her life as hard as possible by withholding money for household expenses, although he had the money, and by being indifferent to certain huge lifestyle inconveniences although he could have addressed those inconveniences to make life a whole lot more simple and, and pleasant for his wife and kids. Susan was in her own little Iconium. And she regularly came to our church with her five children. And she regularly had a happy, smiling, joyous disposition. But underneath, when you scratch the surface at all, you discovered she was in an Iconium. She was facing opposition not for doing wrong, but she was facing opposition for doing right. And she wasn't being opposed by an unbeliever. She was being opposed by the one she least expected would oppose her being godly, her husband. She was in her own Iconium. What did she do? By God's grace, she respected her husband even when he made that very hard. She prayed for the Lord to change her husband. She took up on the freedom which he gave her to take the children to our church every Sunday. If there was ever a opposed Christian wife that may have had an excuse, it was too much of an effort to bring her five children to church on a Sunday, it was Susan. But she was there every Sunday with the children. She served the Lord in our church 
She boldly taught other Christian women and children about the Lord, even in the midst of her iconium. She served Christ by virtue of being in Christ. She knew her identity was in Christ. Her identity wasn't in all of the background music and circumstances that were so awful. She served Christ. She was freed up to serve Christ by serving others because she had her identity being in Christ. Susan served Christ by virtue of his Holy Spirit being active in her, and she believed that God's word of grace would one day do the work of God's grace in her husband. Can I say that again? She believed that the word of God's grace, the Bible, would eventually do the works of God's grace in her husband that needed repentance. She didn't separate from her husband. She didn't divorce her husband. She stayed and she prayed. And it wasn't easy. Some people told her she shouldn't have stayed and she shouldn't have prayed. But she stayed and she prayed. What did God do? He answered Susan's prayers. Not immediately. He answered Susan's prayers from her Iconium in so many special ways. For instance, her children, her five children, didn't sour against the Lord, although their daddy was teaching them to be sour against God. One of her children went on a short-term missions trip when I was their pastor. What did God do? Her husband got work even though he would lose jobs due to his lousy attitude and quick mouth. She stayed by the stuff. She lived in her Iconium. She ministered through God and God through her. And even though he was losing jobs hand over fist by his lousy attitude and smart mouth, he kept getting jobs because she was praying. And God allowed Susan to do some supernatural things some people would call miracles. She could stretch scant amounts of money for food, enough to feed her five kids and herself and her husband, even though he kept his stash of his own personal groceries. She did the miraculous things of more than once, many times driving to our church building from where they lived, and it wasn't a close proximity, with her fuel gauge below empty. And God saw to it that she made it to church on fumes in her car tank engine. And then as she shared her need, we gladly helped her with gas money to get home. You see, she was in an Iconium. Not everybody knew it. But she and the kids knew it. And she let the Lord minister through her to them. And they stayed with the Lord How'd it turn out? Like I said, not, not quickly. It turned out well. And we thank God that it did. Because after years, I said years, it turned out well. Susan's husband repented of his outlook and his attitude and his mistreatment. And he asked for forgiveness from Susan and from each of his five children. And he even came and asked forgiveness from me, although we had never met. But he'd been running my ministry down 
behind my back, and he did the right thing. He came and asked me to forgive him. Of course, I did. He started attending our church with his family. And he was just as faithful in bringing his wife and kids to church as she was bringing the kids when he wasn't interested. And so this man, changed by God, stopped dividing his family and stopped depriving his family, and he began to be <laughs> the, uh, the man God wants him to be. He repented of his critical spirit, and he began to use his spiritual gifts, which were significant gifts, in our church. Iconium turned around 180 degrees. What's your Iconium? Who is your Iconium? Can you wait on the Lord? Can you ask him to intervene in the ways that need to be intervened? Can you wait on the Lord? Can you be loyal to the Lord? Can you stand on the word of God and not back off? Not be frightened, nervous, anxious. Sure you can. You can oppose opposition, and I can too. And the pattern for doing that is in our verses for today. 14, 1 to 7, listen again. And it came about that in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Iconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Stand in your Iconium. In godly ways, oppose your opponents. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example. We thank you that whatever your will is for us is found in your word, that it's possible because the Spirit of God who wrote the scriptures lives within us as born-again believers. Lord, I pray for my dear sisters and my dear brothers who are in their own iconiums, perhaps just hanging on for what they ought to do. May the example of Barnabas and Paul today encourage them to know that you hear prayer and you move us along in, in ways that we should follow. Thank you that you can do things through us that are so special and even miraculous. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.